All right, welcome. Have a seat. I'm going to call up some friends. I'm going to call up our two winter M's this week, Jaden and Avery. Uh, they're going to read the text for us. And also, um, as you probably heard about last week, we're starting these things called text groups right now. And we're doing that because we all want to be reading all of Mark together. So it's really simple. Why we did the text group is because we see text within about 90 seconds. Just kind of a fact. On average, most of us see text really quick. And on these groups, what we're doing is you read the chapter for that week. It was two this last week. I'm sorry. And then you share something about it. So you're reading, engaging, and you're getting to hear different perspectives about what you're reading. And so Avery and Jaden are going to help us out. They're both in text groups, and they're going to show us what it looks like. So Avery's going to read it, and then she's going to share it, and Jane's going to do the same. You can use this if you want to. That's helpful. All right. Mark 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with the fever and they went immediately and told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So those are the verses. And when I was reading through this, I was actually sitting in the sanctuary earlier this week, and it was dark in there. There was no one else in there. It was just me and the Lord. And he stopped me at verses 25 and 26 when Jesus is talking to the impure spirit that was in the man. And... He's saying, be quiet and come out of him. And Jesus stopped me there. He didn't want me to read much further because God wanted to talk to me. And at first I was just in awe and just wondering what it would be like to witness that. And I was in awe of the power and authority of Jesus. And that's something they talk about a lot in these verses. And it was interesting to me. And I was just thinking, oh, what would it be like to be there and witness that? Or even live at the same time as Jesus. And then Jesus kind of corrected me, and he said, Avery, I'm here. In a different way, but I'm here. And you have nothing to worry about, because I would tear heaven open for you. I would drive an impure spirit out of you. I love you, and I'm here with you. And you know, you get those Holy Spirit chills, (laughs) and you're all warm inside, 
but you're cold on the outside, and it's one of those indescribable feelings. And yeah, and then as I was kind of thinking about it, I was thinking these things happened a long time ago, but that Jesus' love and compassion that he used on earth is here in this room. And I hope that we can all experience that because isn't that incredible? <laughs> and then I was kind of wrapping up and I didn't know if there was going to be anything left from God. And then suddenly I had this overwhelming feeling of I'm not alone. And I looked around and there was no one in the room, but it felt like there was a person in every chair. And God kind of wrapped his arms around me and he said, in a very short time, you and I will all be together. We'll live at the same time as each other. We'll be together forevermore. Need I say more? <laughs> so I thought was incredible in the stories of Mark was that how powerful Jesus was, how everybody had the drive to get to Jesus. Some men dug through a roof to get to Jesus. Sink, let that sink in. If that happened today, how would you feel if someone dug through your roof? <laughs> yep. It, it would have a very different feeling. Because, like They were just okay with it because someone dug through the roof to get to Jesus. And in a different story, they picked grain to eat. The Pharisees were so not okay with it, even though it was legal because they didn't do it with a scythe. They picked it with their hands. Now, I did some research into this, and they didn't like make bread or anything with that. If they, they did this with it, and the kernels would come off, and they would eat the seeds. Now, I didn't know that for so long. It never said that in the Bible. Now, the Pharisees, I think they had the Sabbath so wrong. They had it, they were doing the Sabbath for man. But it was, no, I said that wrong. I am? We just studied this here today. We spent a lot of time on this verse here today. So I learned some things from Jaden. <laughs> so it was, the Pharisees were doing everything for the Sabbath, all these laws and everything. Although, their minds and their hearts were not content, but Jesus and the disciples were calm. The Pharisees would spend all their time trying to catch Jesus, trying to find a way that he slipped up, but he never slipped up. He was, he was always calm and content. Good word. So that's a texture. Thank you. Good job. So we'll put the slide up one more time. I think you should join. I think everyone in the room should join. And I might need more leaders today. So uh, if you would be willing to lead a text group, email me. But it's really easy. You have permission to get your phone right now in church. I'm serious. Whoever wants to do it, you can. I'm watching all of you right now. If you're not in the group yet, I can see that you're not in the group. So get in the group. It's really fun. It's been fun to read the responses. And uh, we, really the goal is that we think this changes us. This is a way to very simply be changed by the words of God. All right? So today we're going to conclude with communion, just putting that in front of us, because I think we're going to need it. 
for what the Lord is asking us to do today. What I want to do first, though, as we get started, is I want you to engage your imaginations a little bit, if you're willing. Um, this week, uh, Jaden was one of, he was my winterim. Winterim? I'm not sure why it's not a winterim, but uh, they're an intern. And uh, someone encouraged me to encourage Jaden to go into the sanctuary. I told him to pray for today. So I did. I said, go pray. I said, pay attention to anything that comes across your mind. I want to know what happens. He said, okay. So you went in. Came back later and said, so what happened? He goes, let me tell you. So with me, if you would, I want you to close your eyes and imagine what Jaden shared with me. It's like the Lord shared with him. So sitting in the dark, Jaden saw a person. He's going to call it a person. And the person was falling. The person was frightened. The person was scared. But the person was not falling down. They were falling up. So I imagine my mind's eye, they're scared, they're falling up because if you fall down, there's, you know where the ground is. You have an expectation of what might happen when you hit the ground. The higher you are, the, heart, the, the more it hurts. But if you fall up, where's the end? Where is the ground? Where am I going? So the person who's falling up is grasping to whatever they can find on the ground, trying to remain on the ground, but gravity is failing that person. And up and up and up they go. But then imagine that you're suddenly aware, like Avery shared, of somebody with you up. And the person stops you and says, look down. Look how small all those things are. Look at this new perspective you have up here. Look how far into the horizon you can see. Look how free you are up here. Yeah, there's big clouds and big storms, but look how free you are to move. There's a new way to live up here. You can fly, and I'll show you how. You can open your eyes. So the chapter out of the book we're using by Tim Keller is called The Call, and Jade and I combine that chapter with what he I think the Lord shared with them. It's the call, but we're falling up to heaven. Like I said, if you fall down, I, I know what happens on the ground. I know what happens in my life. I get it. But if I go up, I don't know what's going to happen. So last week we talked about Mark is trying to introduce us to a, a reality that will feel new, but it's not new. He's saying there's been this, this dynamic at, going on forever, before time, in time, and after time. There's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This dynamic relationship where they are honoring each other, working with each other, loving each other. It's this beautiful dance, is what we said last week. And we've been invited into it. So the plan for today, as we work through the chapter you just heard, was, so here's this reality. The question is, is it good news? The chapter says good news. As Jesus says, Mark said, good news? Second, Good news is a life-changing term of events, so what do we do with that? What are we asked to do with this good news? Well, we're asked to follow, and then follow where? What happens when we get there? What happens when we get into the sky, when we get off the ground? What actually happens? So I'll read verse 14 and 15 quickly, and we're just going to talk about it. So after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near, repent, and believe the good news. So the word good news there, the word gospel, it's actually it's two words, angelos and you, euangelos, and it means news that brings you great joy. 
So this is a life-changing set of news. It's not daily news. This is not normal news. This actually changes your circumstance, your status forever. It's like, it's big-time news. And what's fascinating to me is that this is not a Christian word. It's not a Jewish word. It's not a religious word. This is a word for all people. At the same time period, there was a gospel of Caesar Augustus. This is a word that every person understands. You don't have to be in the club or a part of something to, be, to know what this word means, which is how our world kind of works a lot right now. Wherever you work, whatever you do, there's, there's language, there's lingo that you can speak that no one else can speak. Well, Mark and Jesus start their gospel saying this is news for everybody, and everybody can understand it. So in that time period, it usually meant there was a victory there's a, a, a king overtook a, a different kingdom. His kingdom is coming to reign. So it's going to change everything forever. And, you know, I had the thought that might be a good thing. It might not be a good thing. Because what if you're the kingdom who got taken over? Then that wouldn't be such a good thing. But there's this new kingdom. So Jesus saying there's a new kingdom here. Let me tell you about it. So I like that he uses a word that everybody can understand. Because my friend Josh Stolzer, who will be here in a few weeks, would say, Jesus loves to create common ground to call us to higher ground. So he meets you where you are, where you can understand, and he says, come on, come higher, come this way. So it's the gospel, it's good news. But I got to thinking, how many of us view this as good news? So it's supposed to bring us great joy. How many people feel great joy when they read their, when they read their Bible? I don't know. How many people, when, after you've read your Bible and spent time with you, would say that you, the fact that you spent time in the Word today brings me great joy? Who you are today is joyful to me. I'm excited that you read your Bible today. I don't know. You know, uh, there's a lot of really good writings in here. There's some really wise things. You read like the Proverbs and the Psalms. It's very real. It's really good. Really good advice in here, Right? There's some really good rules to live, what ways to live. There's like a Ten Commandments. There's all kinds of good things to do for people. But does that make it good news? Does it bring me joy? Does it change life for me and for other people? It's kind of what we're exploring here as we're reading this in these text groups. Does this change us? You actually have 16 weeks to see if reading it every single week changes you. That's kind of a good little uh, um, experiment, I guess. But I got thinking, a lot of us, view, I think we view this more as a self-help book. It's good advice, really good advice. So around New Year's, I looked up a self-help article. There's a lot of them. It's really easy to Google if you want to. And I found a good article with good things. But, so here, here I'll tell you what they were. The first thing, four things if you want to have a better year and a better day. First is to start with a positive mantra for your day. It's good advice. It says, today is the best day ever. I thought of the Lego movie, right? Everything is awesome. Like, just sing it over. It's going to be a good day, right? So today, today is the best day ever. Say that to start the day out loud. Be proactive, not reactive. The person says, start your day focused on you, and you will be a better, a better you. You'll be your best self. That's a scary phrase to me. Living my best life. I don't know about that one. But the idea was that you don't, don't jump into your work email because you feel like you have to react to what's there. Do things that, that are life-giving for you. That's good advice. But don't jump on social media because you might see a friend in crisis. And you feel like you have, to help, you have to help that friend in crisis. Start your day with you and then go help them later. It's not bad advice. Not bad advice. Third thing was visualize your success. You know, I used to be an athlete. It's good to visualize what you hope happens. It actually is a helpful thing to do, right? And the fourth thing was to have accountability partners like our text groups. Good things, right? But I was thinking about this, though, is 
the problem, why this isn't good news, why this is good advice, which is how I think a lot of us read this, is because a lot of it's predicated on me. Those are all things I have to do. And if I don't do them, the day won't go the way I want. Now, I was working through the list. What if, what if today's not the best day ever? What do I do then? This, this great advice fails. It's not a good day. I've had a lot of those days. I'm sure you've had some of those days. It's not a good day. It kind of ruins the advice. Second, start your day with you. And don't worry about that friend of yours who's in crisis. So I had the thought. I mean, I understand. It's a good thing to have boundaries and things like that. But what if you're the friend in crisis? And your friends, I don't actually, I'll get to you. But I got to take care of me first. I'll take care of me and then I'll get to you later. What, what if you're the friend? I've been that friend. I've been the one in crisis. If I had a friend who would not get back to me when I need them, that actually need, no, there, there's perceived crisis and real crisis. In a real crisis, how's that person led to feel about themselves and about you and how you feel about them? Visualize your success. You know, I don't know. So the difference between Jesus and this good news and that good news is that Jesus did it for you. You don't have to do anything. You could just start there. That's why it's such good news. You can screw up over and over again. If you come back, if you honestly repent, which is what he said, if you actually ask for forgiveness, he welcomes you back. You already are a son. You already are a daughter. I thought of the story of the prodigal son. You notice that story that the dad never, ever judges or says anything negative to that son? He just welcomes him. I'm sure they had conversations later. But he just welcomes him with open arms. Not one time does he say anything about what the son son did wrong. He just welcomes him. Because he came back honestly. And he repented. He changed how he thought. And he asked for forgiveness. That's good news. If I live like that, I think people around me think, that's good news. This is a good thing. The fact that you welcome me back even when I screwed up again, that makes that brings me a lot of joy. It brings me a lot of security, a lot of peace. That is good news. So I thought about this, this mantra, this thing to have a good, really good life or whatever, to live your best life. Positive mantra, you're a son, you're a daughter, always and forever. We talk the circle of love. You cannot fall out. Once you are in, you are in. That is good news. No matter what happens. So, you know, be proactive. Spend your time in that every day. Start there. When me and my wife have a date night, that is joyful. That is good news. That's a good thing for me. Time to actually connect and be together. We, have, we get life out of that. Start your day that way. Find ways to do that in your day. And third, visualize your day. Pray into your day. Welcome the Holy Spirit. Welcome God into your day. He's outside of time. He can move in and out of time whenever he wants. That's what it says in here. So yeah, visualize your success by praying your God into that day. It's good news. Because you don't know the day's going to happen. I'm surprised, actually, at what does not happen and what does happen in a day. My plans never happen in a day. Am I the only one? I, my, it never goes the way that I think. There's always something, right? So pray into the day. You don't know what this day has to hold. But there's somebody who can be in that day with you. It's good news. And fourth, it says to have accountability partners. Invite people to do the same. Join a text group. You're going to join a text group by the end of the day, I'm going to tell you what. I'm trying. So this is good news. 
So there's this problem, if this is just religion, if this is just advice, if this isn't good news, if it truly isn't life-changing at a turn of events, if it's not good news, the problem is this. It's in Tim, it's in Tim Keller's book. If I follow the advice and you don't, this is the progression. I feel superior to you. Then what I do? Then I begin to judge you. After I judge you, I actually keep you away from me. I don't want you with me because you're a screw-up. And you don't seem to get it right. I forgave you two, three, four, five times. That's enough forgiveness. I can't have you with me anymore. I understand boundaries. But if that's my approach to people, no, I don't think so. And I'll actually exclude you. And you're not in the club anymore. And that person's left on their own with a horrible depiction of who God actually is. And then where are we? Probably where our country is today, right? Just kind of a mess. Where's Maddie's here all the time? It really stinks. I think it makes Jesus really sad. So how can you tell if you're following the one who brings good news? Lord of the Rings, great movie. J.R. Tolkien says this, the hands of the king are healing hands, and thus shall the rightful king be known. Read that again. The hands of the king are healing hands, and thus shall the rightful king be known. Who does Jesus say were his hands and his feet? Me. And you? Healing hands? What's the primary thing we need healing from? Probably forgiveness. Probably relationally. There's lots of other stuff, but relationally, healing hands. That's how people will know the good news. So, that requires some releasing. There's a new reality, a new way to live, right? Into this good news. So Jesus says to the disciples, what? Said verse, uh, let's see here, 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. They left their father Zebedee and in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Releasing, following up, is scary. But the funny thing is here, in Jesus' day, the student chose the rabbi, not the other way around. So Jesus is doing it different. He's choosing the student. He's choosing people who shouldn't be his students. But what's our natural response? We have a quick video here for you from The Chosen. Watch Peter's response. So it jumps at me. Think about what Jaden, we talked about this week. So he said, you're scared. But now anything is possible, but you're scared. And he gives all the reasons, right? In this scene, Peter is in, massively in debt. His wife has angered him. His mother-in-law is sick. His life is in shambles. He said, is he going to solve any of my current problems? I don't think so. I don't really want him then. So what would keep us from falling up? What would keep us from letting go? So I had this talk with one of my professors once a long time ago. And he said, why do you Christians, he's really, he said this really nicely, uh, always think what God wants you to do has to be hard? Why is he always had to pick the hard stuff? Why can't you just do the things you want to do and he'll meet you in the stuff you already love to do or wherever you think you want to go, he'll just meet you there. So it's actually a great question. Thought about that. Why, do, why is that? But I had some thoughts. I said, well, I think, because you're focused on what you lose or give up, not what you might gain. If you... 
in this new vantage point, being at Pi, you, as you look back, I, I've experienced in my life when I've had to do something I thought was hard, I've actually found it's still really hard, but I love where I ended up. I would never change any of it. But it didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense at the very beginning. So Jesus said to me, asking people, leave your nets, come follow me. You come follow me. It doesn't seem to make a ton of sense all the time, but I won't know that for, until later. So, and it's messy. What you have to give up will be messy. Re- re- removing yourself from a relationship might be messy. It, it might not go very well. But what's so interesting to me, Jesus is always in the Old Testament. He's always come from the Old Testament. So fishers of men, fishermen, there's a difference between the chosen. Like, what does that even mean? Fish for men, what is that? It's actually in the Old Testament. It's in Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah, a fisherman, it's different though. It's the day of disaster. The Lord is looking on the people and they are just destroying each other. Life is awful. And the Lord says, I have to make this right. We all long for judgment. Let's be serious. We want everything to be made right. That's what judgment is. So he sends the fishermen to bring the judgment. Jesus comes and he flips it over. He says, you know what? I'm going to bring the fishermen, but I'll absorb the judgment. Sin, shame, take all that. The fishermen, though, get to bring the forgiveness. They get to bring the kingdom. They get to bring the healing hands of the king. And it's going to be messy. Like, I have this idea in my mind when Jesus calls the disciples, it's this beautiful sandy shore with the white, like white beaches, and it's beautiful outside, right? That's not where they were. It was rocky ground. There were a ton of fishermen within 100 feet of shore because the, the Jewish people were scared to death of the water. There's seagulls everywhere. You met the beach when there's seagulls. It's the worst. It's loud. It smells bad. That was where Jesus called the disciples and said, it's going to be messy, but you get to bring the kingdom and I'll absorb the judgment. And also, one other thought. I always imagine Jesus just walking up and saying, hey, come follow me. Hey, come follow me. And I don't want to just go with me. This is my thought. So Andrew, out last case, Andrew spent time with Jesus already. Andrew knows who Jesus is. He was with John the baptizer. And John the Baptist said, hey, there's the Lamb of God. Andrew goes with him, spends a day with him, then goes to find his brother. Then they go follow Jesus. I'm struck by that Andrew brought Simon Peter to Jesus. So Jesus says, come follow me. He does. And he chooses us. He does. But somehow we have some responsibility in this thing. We have to bring people to Jesus. That's what he did. It happens again in the gospel. Different disciples. See, they, they see him. They experience him and say, you've got to come with me. But you only ask people to do that if it's really, really good news. If it's just advice, religion, things to follow, ah, whatever. There's lots of self-help gurus. But if it's more than that, I'm willing to ask somebody to be super uncomfortable say, you should come. I'm willing to forgive you again because, oh, man, because Jesus did that. Yeah, okay, I, I'll remain in relationship with you because I, oh, I want your eternities at stake. Right? So Jesus goes on. This all happens in one day. So we'll go, we're going to go fast. Verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just in a man in the synagogue, it's always crazy to me, there's a man in the synagogue, it's like here at church, was possessed by an evil spirit and cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And people were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? 
a new teaching with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. A new spread. So I have, there's not a lot of exorcisms happening at church. I'm not sure you've been a part of an exorcism or not. Maybe there should be more of them. I don't know for sure. But what was so striking to me was the evil tried to name Jesus. And I learned to speak someone's name to them, you're trying to establish control and mastery of them. So your name spoke to who you were, not just like I'm Clayton. No, it spoke to who I actually am, my character, who I am, right? So evil, this is what they do to us. So they try and do it to Jesus. But I had this thought, because Jesus is here now. We're living, we believe the good news. We're living in this new reality. We have followed him. And I couldn't help but think, how many times does some evil, maybe in your own mind, try to name you? Try to, hey, you remember who you are? You're an addict. You're addicted to this. You're an alcoholic. You're a jerk. How many times does evil name you? Try to say, that is who you are. And what does Jesus say? Be quiet. He has authority. So in my own mind, when I am told lies, because I'm, I'm a son of the king. I know who I am. But sometimes it's hard. Because of Jesus, we have authority to name that for what it is as garbage. Say, no, be quiet. He does it to Peter in a little bit. Get behind me, Satan. Authority over evil. Authority over lies. Jesus said, repent, change how you think. Why? Because the primary means of the devil to, 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 to destroy us is lies. He's changed how we think. So Jesus comes and says, change how you think. Don't think that way. That's not true. Know who you are. Son, daughter, most high God, cannot be unloved. I will love you forever. I will always forgive you. Come back to me. That's who you are. So when evil comes, you say, be quiet in Jesus' name. Not in my name, in Jesus' name. Shh. I was like, wow. I've been trying to do that this week. And it's a constant thing. Like, it's not like you say it once and it goes away. You got to keep doing this. We're renewing our minds. That is the mind issue right there. That blue book has all kinds of beautiful things in it. Go get it and read it. It's about renewing our minds, changing how we think. Verse 29. Same day. As soon as they left the synagogue, I listened at the 8 o'clock service. This was like 60 feet, they think. Synagogue to this house is 60 feet. They went with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and he told, uh, they told you about her. So he went to her, took her, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-oppressed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. I don't know when, when or why Jesus heals things and when he doesn't. There's this song right now. It's called Too Good to Not Believe. I like it. I, sometimes I don't like it. Because he, he believes, the guy in the song, he believes that he's seen some things that, that Jesus can heal. I think Jesus can heal. But Jesus doesn't always heal. So you're left with this. But he sees it. The phrase, too good to not believe, just wrecks me every time. He's too good. He might. But you know what I do know? Is that he will heal someone forever. And I will always have them. I might lose them now. But it does not mean I don't still pray 
that he might not still do this. He is too good to not believe. One story. I'm going over. Sorry, but it's a good story. Can I, can I, can I tell the story? All right. So it's in this book, and I love it. I guess I get like the Holy Spirit shivers every time. So it's about a book, old book, 150 years ago, called The Princess and the Goblin. So why? So good news. Follow Jesus. Why? All this crazy stuff happens, but we've got to follow him, right? And it's, it's hard. We're falling up. We're losing control. We're moving into this new realm where I don't know what's going to happen. That's okay. It's called The Princess and the Goblin by a guy named George MacDonald, 150 years old. The protagonist, the main character is eight. Her name's Irene. Irene uh, finds an attic in her house. And in the attic, she finds her fairy godmother. And that's super exciting, right? So she goes back all the time looking for a fairy godmother, but she's not always there. She wants to find her, but she can't always find her. But sometimes she is there. Huh. One time she is there. And she explains this to her her fairy godmother. What do I do if you're not here? What if I need you? She says, I will give you this ring. You see this spool of thread. You can see it now. It's attached to your ring but it's invisible. And anytime you're scared, put the ring under your pillow, feel for the thread, and follow it. So, the book's called The Princess and the Goblin. There are goblins. The goblins are coming into her home. She's scared. Puts the ring under her pillow. Feels the thread. Oh, grandma's close. Begins to follow the thread. It takes her outside of her house, outside of her room, into danger. Not sure where she's going to go. She finds herself being led toward the goblin's den, the cave. Not good, right? She gets in and she runs into a wall full of rocks and dirt and she just can't. She begins to weep and to weep and to weep. In the last place she wants to be, she's in danger. What is she going to do? But grandma said to follow the thread. So she begins to dig through the dirt. Dig and dig. She's crying. She's weeping. She's, her hands are bloody. She's digging and she's digging and she's digging and she's digging. And all of a sudden she hears a voice. It's her friend. His name's Curdy. So she digs, 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 and there he is. And he goes, how did you find me? How did you know I was here? No one did. I followed the thread. And he's like, oh, like amazing. Like, let's get out of here. But the thread continued to go down the cave. So Irene says, we have to follow the thread. Following Jesus will be better than we could ever imagine and probably just as hard. I had the thought when you go up into the sky, we don't really experience the clouds around the ground. You can't imagine what storms are like up high. You could fly. Who knows? What could happen? But it could be really dangerous. Jesus, follow me. I'd like to have the, the band up and we're serve communion in a minute. I do want to say, I don't know, so much of our faith, it seems like, is for me. Right? Like, wh- why do we get baptized? It's a sign of what happened in here. Why would we do that? So other people can see. So other people can see what Jesus did for us. So much of what we do is we think is just for us. Almost none of it is. If Jesus heals somebody, it's not really for the person being healed. It's for other people to see and experience that God is good. 
He is moving. Yeah, you're healed too. Change the way we think. It's about everyone else. If your eternity is secured, it's about everyone else. So if you follow the thread, who knows who you find? Who knows who you have to forgive? Who knows who or what you have to pray or for? But eternity is at stake. And we want to fill up the kingdom. So we have a class coming. I just want to make a plug for it. So as you move up to this new place, there's, there's more. You find all over in this book, disciples, Jesus, is, they're, praying, he's, they're praying for more for us. There's more. There's always more with Jesus. He's not contained on the ground. He's up high. So just to prepare us for the weeks to come in communion, I want to offer a prayer of forgiveness for how small we make Jesus. Box him in. He can do this, not this. We're like, we're like Peter. Can he do that? Can he fix this for me? No, I don't really care. That happens to all of us. So I want us to repent, to ask for forgiveness. So in the coming weeks, as you are in a text group reading Mark, and he starts asking for more from you, you're like, Okay, okay, okay. So would you pray with me? Father, we ask for forgiveness. In this, we, we very rarely enter the dance and we are very stationary people where everything revolves around us. And so we say, we're sorry. We made so much about us and our own happiness and our own goals. We miss out on all these things, all these ways that you want to move because we're we're selfish. So we ask for forgiveness as a group. And we say yes to more, yes to whatever you have in store for us. And we ask though as we say yes that you that you make sure that you we know that you're with us because we're gonna need you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to invite the elders up. I've got to find the, the words of the institution. So I think that we're going to need sustenance. We're going to need strength. We're going to need help. If you choose to do this, if we say yes to the invitation. So if you believe in Jesus, if you've entered the new reality, if you believe the good news that Jesus came to save, that he died for you, that he is your king, would you come forward at any point in time in these songs to receive communion, receive his body, receive his blood. It will sustain you. It will empower you. It will equip you for whatever more is. So the Lord Jesus, the same night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup where they had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The bread which you break is the communion of the body of Christ. The cup of blessing which you bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. 
at any point in time in worship, feel free to come forward.